Heavenly Father, again, we just come before you, Lord, as we dig deep into your word, Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us, Lord, that we would be encouraged or we would be taught, we would just be spoken to you by you, Lord, that you would bring a message to us through you, Lord, that my words would not be my words, but it'd be your words. Nobody here wants to hear from me, Lord. They want to hear from you. So, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would use this time, Lord. Our hearts would be quieted. Our minds would be quieted. Our ears would be open. And we would just hear from you today, Lord. So, I, Lord, I just pray for your Holy Spirit here, your presence here, Lord. That your presence would be known here, Lord. And that whatever points in this message I may have or may not have, Lord, these, this message, whatever it is, Lord, you would speak something through it that they would be able to take from you. Not from me, from you. So we want to hear from you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we saw how each one of us were given different gifts, right? You remember we talked about that message? We're talking about vocational training right now. We're talking about different different people have different gifts. Some people's might be to make hospitality and making cookies. Some of us might be playing an instrument. Some of us might be singing. Some of us might be teaching. Some of us might even be financial, right? We had different gifts. But last week we learned whatever that gift is that God has given each one of us, we are to use that gift for the kingdom of God. Also, don't forget the most important gift we all got. What is the most important gift? It's the gift of the gospel. It's the gift of the good news. It's that gift that God, Jesus gave each one of us that day on the cross when he allowed himself to be placed on the cross, paying the price for each and every one of our sins. So this is a gift we have to share with others. We learned about this last week. Some of us are also given spiritual gifts. Yeah? We're given love. We're given mercy. We're given grace. We're given hospitality, discernment. Lots of different gifts given by the Spirit. But all these things that we've been blessed with, whatever they may be, are to be used for His glory. Now, some of us are blessed materially with worldly things. Maybe some of us have money. Maybe we have a car. Maybe we have even an education. An education is a gift from the Lord. Maybe even we have a family, friends. These are all gifts and blessings by the Lord. All these things we need to realize are gifts from the Lord. All these blessings are to be used to further his kingdom. So last week I asked all of you, are you being good stewards of the blessings that God is giving you? whether it be spiritual, worldly, physical, whatever it would be. Are you using these things to further the kingdom of God? Are you using these things for God's glory? Now, another question I asked is, do you trust God? Because sometimes we see one person's gifts, right? Maybe you saw the worship team up here today, and you're like, I wish I could sing like that. I wish I could sing. I wish I could play guitar. You don't want me to do either. Trust me. It would be horrible. Maybe God would honor it, but it would not honor your ears. But I see other people's gifts. I trust the Lord that God has given each one of us as part of a body different gifts so all of us can come together as a fellowship and increase his kingdom. So the question was, are you are you really willing and faithful using your gifts for God's kingdom? How's this week been? Have you done that? Were you faithful servants this week? We learned also that there is a reward for being faithful in the gifts that we've been given. Now, today, a little different. Today is the very last text or passage or lesson before Jesus will enter Jerusalem. I think that makes it pretty special, doesn't it? Now, think about that. It's the last evening. 
It's the last conversations Jesus is going to have before he enters Jerusalem. I kind of prayed about that, and I meditated about it, and I thought about this. This is a turning point in Jesus' ministry, is it not? He's went from teaching, now getting ready to enter Jerusalem for the final week. I thought, you know, each of us have important moments in our lives, turning points in our lives, a point where we are faced with two paths, one direction or another. And the decisions that we make in them times will affect us and our families and our friends for possibly our entire lives. And this was the place that Jesus was at. You think back to the, them times. Maybe for some of us, it's the time that we decided to go to college or which college to go to. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's the point where we chose to get married. I mean, that's marriage. That's going to affect your life forever. Maybe it's a point where you decided to have children. Maybe it's a point where you decide to go to Bible college. Maybe it's a point where you moved here to Myanmar or you're moving away from Myanmar. There's lots of crossroads or paths that we have. Jesus was at this point right now. Jesus was days away from choosing to allow himself to be placed on the cross. He was choosing to freely give his life for each and every one of us, paying our price for each and every one of our sins, past, present, and future. This is a pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry, isn't it? So just take a minute. Imagine what Jesus was thinking. Imagine what Jesus was going through as he looked to that next week. As Jesus prepared to face being placed on that cross, paying the price for your sins. Imagine what he thought as he sat outside of Bethany, outside of Jerusalem in Bethany, the very evening, the next day he would enter. Can you imagine? What would you do? How would you feel? Imagine Jesus knew, he knew that our sins would be placed upon him and our sins for a time being would separate him from the Father. That was his greatest thing with Jesus. This is the context for today's passage. As we start today's lesson, realize what's going on. This is important. So let's read and let's study and see how Jesus is going to spend his last day and his last hour before entering Jerusalem. Now, as we get going, I want you to ask yourself some questions. You ready for the questions? How do you spend time with Jesus and what does that look like? Think about that questions as we get into the passage. The next question, how much time do you spend with Jesus each day, each week? Another question, do you think that that time that you do spend with Jesus is enough? Remember these questions as we get in. Fourth question, how do you think Jesus would like you to worship him? What do you think? Ask yourself these questions. Keep these in back of your mind as we get into this sermon. Also, when... Each one of you, really ask yourself this. This is a hard question. When was the last time you truly, truly sat at Jesus' feet, sat there and listened and worshipped our Lord and Savior? When was the last time? I'm not talking about a quick prayer in the morning before you walked out the door. But when you really sat at Jesus' feet and listened and meditated and worshipped him, when was the last time you did that? Is there something in the way of that kind of worship between you and God? Is there something that you need to give up What would it take that you would worship God like that? What would it take that you would worship God, Jesus, in a way that would be pleasing to him? A lot of questions. But I had to really think and meditate about these questions as I got ready and prepared to preach this sermon. Now, as we begin, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Now, it's kind of strange I'm having you turn here because the reason we're actually turning here is because this isn't the message today. That makes sense, right? So turn to Luke, chapter 7, 
verse 36. You guys see the story there? Many of you are familiar with this story. This is a story where a woman, an immoral woman, came and also had an alabaster jar. Oh, hello. And anointed Jesus. All right? This story. Many of you are familiar with this story. But I want to be clear as we look at the story we're going to look at today. This is a different story. We don't want to mistake. So you look at this story in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. This is a different story than we're going to talk about today. So don't confuse the two, because a lot of people maybe could do that. Um, the story that this is taking place here actually happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And if you read through it, you'll see it actually happened in the Galilean area. Now, the story today is years later. But they're similar, so you could easily think they're the same story. They're not. So this happened years later, and this has happened in Bethany now. So as we look at that, I just wanted to mention that so you didn't mistake that these women, because these are two very different women also we're talking about today. As you see in this story here, this is an immoral woman, and today we're going to be talking about Mary, not a very godly woman. So don't mistake the two, please. Now this afternoon I've asked you already, how do you worship Jesus? Turn to John, chapter 12, verse 1. The title of this message is, Do we worship like Mary, Martha, or Lazarus? How do you worship? Got your Bibles open. John, chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Seven days. It's only seven days until Jesus will be on the cross. And he has stopped off now on his way to Jerusalem in Bethany. This town is only two miles outside of Jerusalem. And he stopped for an evening. Now, I know we know that Jesus has spent time here before, right? We know he spent time in Bethany here before. We know, we've heard of Mary. We've heard of Martha. We've heard of the story of Lazarus, right? Now, I believe Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, wanted to stop by Bethany and see his friends, spend some time with them, with the people that he loved, before he entered Jerusalem, before he faced the cross. Now, you can look back and remember that, that when Jesus was in this town before, many people in the town had come to know him. Many people had accepted him as their savior. Remember why? Because the raising of Lazarus. This is where all this took place. But also, do you remember what else happened in that town before? Who remembers the outburst? Who remember Thomas? What did Thomas say last time? The very last time, what did Thomas say? Let's go to and die with Jesus. Remember, that was the last time because they tried to kill Jesus last time. So he's been there. This is his third time. Each time, they've tried to kill him. So, you know, you think about it. This is the third time now they're entering this town. Each time they've tried to kill Jesus. If I was one of the disciples, could you imagine walking into this town? I'd be looking, looking around. I'd be scared. I'd be worried that somebody's going to come up and get me. Because the last two times... They were trying to kill Jesus. So it gives you a little context. Just think about that. I mean, if you've been to a town two times before and each time they tried to kill, third time, you think you'd learn your lesson, huh? No, Jesus was going to still go there. So I, I'd, I'd have been very nervous. I, I would have been scared, but not them. Let's look at verse 2. A dinner was prepared for in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Now we're told by John that a dinner was prepared for Jesus. But I want to look at Mark. Mark chapter 14, because it gives a little more on this story. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had 
leprosy. Do you see a little more context now about what was going on there? We can see through Mark's account, this wasn't actually Lazarus' house. Because initially you would think it was. But this actually was another man's house. Now this, this man that's spoken of here was healed of leprosy. Now, I would say this man obviously heard or saw Jesus was coming and wanted to show gratitude to what Jesus has done and now has invited Jesus into his home and prepared a supper or a meal. And I'm sure as you think about this, there was a large cost to this man inviting Jesus into his home and having dinner, right? Now the cost, I'm not talking about the food. I'm sure the food cost the man some money, right? I mean, the 12, all the disciples and everything. But the cost, what happened last time? Look at John. Just go look at John 11.57. What happened last time Jesus was in Bethany? Meanwhile, the leading priest and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report him immediately so they could arrest him. This guy was breaking a commandment on an order by the local leaders or the local authorities. Uh, he did not, he didn't obviously did not report that Jesus was there. Instead, he invited him into his home and made dinner for him. Now, I think there obviously would have been problems for this man later for what he has done. If When the leaders found out that he had invited him into his home, made him dinner, and was worshiping Jesus, this would have been a problem. There would have been a cost to pay for what he has done. I don't think he was really concerned about that. I think he was more concerned with thanking Jesus for healing him from leprosy. Now, I know we all remember the story of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, but I want to just look back really quick. So turn back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. I'm going to read this. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset about all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. So you remember this story that Jesus had come to their house before, and Martha had made this big dinner while Mary sat at Jesus' feet. We learn through this, Jesus desires an intimate worship of him. Martha was not wrong in serving Jesus this way, but Mary was not wrong either, and that Jesus really wants us to sit at his feet and listen and worship him. So let's, I want to go back to John, and you can see, we're not going to read through it all, in John chapter 11, 1 through 57, it tells another story, and that story is Lazarus and his raising from the dead. But we do want to read the first two verses in John chapter 11. This is important. John chapter 11, verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So we see here that John reminds us there that this is the same people. This is the same Mary. He makes John makes sure that we all understand that the, the story of Mary that we're studying today is the same Mary then. In this account, in John chapter 11, where we see Lazarus' death, we see that Jesus came back days later and raised Lazarus from the dead. We learned that Jesus, remember, Jesus asked us to have faith even when things seemed impossible. I mean, it been like three or four days. So as we continue in today's passages, remember, as we start the story today, a lot of time has passed. 
I know in John you see it just jump 11 to 12, but actually a considerable amount has passed. Jesus had already gone back up to Galilee and come all the way back down. So now, Jesus, they're back down in Bethany. They're getting ready to eat this dinner that's been prepared. This this dinner is prepared in the honor of Jesus' return. Now, as we get going, I got another question for you. How would you welcome, what is your custom to welcoming someone into your home? Think about that. If you were to invite me into your home and I was to walk up to your house, into your door, what is your custom to invite me into your home? In my home, maybe it's a little bit different. I don't know. I would invite you in. I would open the door. I would usually introduce you to all my family if you didn't know them. I would probably offer you a place to sit down. I would offer you something to drink. Maybe I would also offer you the use of our restroom or washroom in case you needed to wash your feet or do other things. Then maybe I would give you a tour of my home. I don't know. That's kind of my custom, my family. And I found out as I read this and I I found out Vicky told me later that she actually doesn't like it when I do that. She said, I don't like people getting the tour of her home. I never knew that. She was proof. I have her proof my message. Like, she just looks for typos or different things, you know. She read that. She's like, you always do that, and I don't like it. Years, 22 years of marriage, I find this out today. So, amazing, huh? Her proofing my notes. So, I won't do that no more because I found out she didn't like to, people to know where she sleeps, she said. So, Many of us have very different ways of welcoming people into our homes, or we have different customs, right? What's your custom? What would you do? You can think about it. Now, in Jesus' time, there was definitely a set custom, right, to welcome someone. You, When they would walk in, it was very common to actually anoint their head. It was very custom to have a servant wash their feet. It was also very customary to give them a kiss, a holy kiss. That was customary in the time. Now look back at that verse 2. Look back at verse 2, 12, 2. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. So we see Martha has come to the house, right? Martha is doing what Martha does, right? Martha is serving, right? She works. We see that Lazarus, he's sitting there with Jesus, right? Eating and joining, joining in on the supper, right? Now, In this day, this would have been very customary for the women to serve the men. Maybe some of you don't like that or do like that, but that was definitely the custom in the Jewish culture, that all the men would sit together and enjoy the meal while the women would serve. Now, I think that Martha was overjoyed to serve Jesus. I'm sure she she really enjoyed it. And I think of the Myanmar culture as... They have an amazing heart to serve. And I've been to a lot of different homes when they serve. And I I imagine that Martha would have been like the people are in Myanmar when I go to their homes. I mean, you can imagine Jesus sitting there, right? And every time he turned his head, Martha would have been there, putting more food on his plate, like they do to you in Myanmar. Yeah, some of you are laughing. You know what I'm talking about. Every time Jesus would have turned his head, more food would have came on his plate. His plate would have never been empty, just like the people in Myanmar do. Um, You know, another custom that was... Similar in Jesus' time, also similar to Myanmar, is how they ate. Now, there would have been no chairs, right? We all kind of know that. There was no chairs in Jesus' time to say. There would have been a short table, kind of like in Myanmar, right, that everyone would sit around and eat. It's similar, but there is a difference. You know what the difference is? You know how the Myanmar people sit at the table? They sit like cross-legged, right? Or they sit on their knees, kind of feet... Facing back, right? It's kind of the two ways the Myanmar people sit at the table, right? Now, I'm going to tell you, that's hard for me. That hurts me after time. I I do it, but after a while, they go numb, and I can't feel my legs, and I get uncomfortable, and I start wiggling. But that ain't the worst part of sitting. The problem is me getting back up. 
Because once I stand up, I can't feel my feet. But in Jesus' time, it was a little bit different. They didn't sit cross-legged in Jesus' time. They didn't sit on their knees. They actually would recline. I like this. I think this would be better. So you can imagine a table. Each person would lay on their side, elbow on the table, eating with this hand, right? And so it'd go around the table. We got a picture of that. Look at this. So it's kind of like Myanmar, but a little bit different. You see? They all kind of reclined, feet kicked out. It had been very comfortable. I, I kind of like it. So now we have a great picture in our minds of this dinner, right? This supper going on. Everybody's reclining back, enjoying themselves. But what about Mary? Where's Mary? Let's look at verse 3. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with this fragrance. So as we look at this verse, we're really going to look at a lot of aspects of this verse. And I want to ask, start with first, what does it mean to anoint? So we're going to look at some scriptures to learn what does it mean to anoint. Let's turn first to Exodus, way back in the Old Testament. Exodus 29. Now we're going to look at just a few verses. Exodus 29. Verse 1. This is a ceremony you must follow when you consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priest. So there's the first part. Let's look at verse 7 also. Then anoint him by pouring the anointing oil over his head. Continue. Let's look at verse 35. This is how you will ordain Aaron and his son to their offices, just as I have commanded you. The the ordination ceremony will go on for seven days. Think about that. I read that. That just hit me like a ton of bricks. Seven days this ceremony went on. How long was it before Jesus would be on the cross? Seven days. It gives me chills. It does. It really gives me chills to think about that. So we see Aaron and his sons being ordained or as priests to be anointed as priests. Anointing is throughout the Bible, right? It's also used today. We use it today. Uh, We use it to acknowledge or to set apart a person or to consecrate one's sacred duty as they are to serve the Lord. Um, When one is anointed, they are set apart for a special work or a special calling. So we acknowledge that, what God is doing in their life, by an anointing. We will actually do a little, today, as Grace gets ready to go, we will anoint her, we will send her, we will pray over her, because God has called her to a special work. And so we will pray over her, and we will anoint her to go forth to do the work and receive the training that God has for her. I want to look at another example. Turn to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to look at a couple verses. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Now we're just going to skip ahead to verse 12 and 13. Uh, Second half of verse 12. And the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. So, As David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully over David from that day on. Then Samuel returned. We see God's anointed David as the king. Now let's turn all the way in the New Testament, all the way to James. We just got done studying James on Tuesday night. James chapter 5, verse 14. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with the oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. If you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. 
This anointing of oil in the name of the Lord, remember how I said that, in the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, is an outward expression of our faith in Jesus and his ability to heal our sickness. These examples that we've read here, and there's so many more throughout the Bible, these anointings are physical expressions that acknowledge who God is, the power of God, and the callings that God has on these individual lives. That they each are set apart for a special work. They are ordained, These people are ordained by God, but we acknowledge that through that anointing. So all these examples that we see, all of these are done in order to serve the Lord for his glory. Now, we all have a little bit, hopefully, a better understanding or a better definition of what it meant when it says here, when Mary anointed Jesus. She was setting Jesus apart. She was recognizing what God had in store for Jesus. She was preparing Jesus for the special work that God had laid in front of him. Think about that. Seven days beforehand. Obviously, Mary had felt in some way to do this. We don't know the whole backstory of why exactly, but she has felt necessary to do this. Now, as we go, I think we need to look at a few more things. I want to talk about this 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. This is what Jesus used to anoint Jesus, right? Now, this jar would have been about this size. If you figure it out and look at the math, it's about this size. So imagine dumping this whole container out. That's a lot. I mean, it would have been similar, probably consistency to like olive oil. So you imagine using all this on someone's actually head and feet, if you look at the other text. Now this, what was this uh, this jar? What was it exactly? It, he's got a great picture there. It was trans, it's a translucent mineral of gypsum, and it would have been carved. It would have been white, you can see there, with streaks of yellow, red, and brown. It would have been extremely beautiful, because what was in it was extremely valuable. Inside would have been a perfume that, it came from a plant that was, this plant wasn't even from that area. It was actually only found in the high elevations in East India. Nard had a very strong, a very distinctive aroma, similar to an essential oil, is a perfume. But this perfume, it would cling to your skin, it would cling to your hair, the fragrance, and it would continue to give off its smell for extended periods of time. Um, it, you know, it's actually, this isn't the only time this is mentioned in the Bible, is it, though? You know where else it's mentioned? Song of Solomon. It's mentioned three different separate times in the Song of Solomon. But how it's being used there is a much different setting, a more intimate setting. I'll let you read between the lines on that. This oil, it was used also in other things in Jewish culture. We know it um, as it was used for burial. Uh, some would say even the jar itself was used as a payment for dowry sometimes. Um, it was definitely used in burial rites. Um, but, you know, they could have used it also like we would use a oil today, right? To make yourself smell good. Some people put oils and perfume on. Some people anoint each other with oils. It would have been used maybe even similar. But don't forget also it was used for funerals. Now I'm going to give you, I, I passed this out the other day, but I want to give it again. This is a little jar of anointing oil. This just gives you an idea. You can open it and smell it. Uh, try, try not to use too much because it's extremely expensive. This is what we use. Um, but you can take a look at this. Can you come grab this? Come, come up and grab it for me. And you can pass it around and you can smell it and look at it just to give you an idea. This is not the same smell, but it will give you an idea of how strong it would be. So you can pass it around. You can put a little bit on your finger. Just be uh, good on it. So now, also the thing about this is we look at this alabaster jar or we look at uh, these oils. You know, it was also used in a different way that you may not thought of. It was actually used possibly as a savings account 
is the best way I could probably explain it. You know, some of us may or may not, you know, maybe you would buy gold. I've seen some EMR people buy some like a gold chain or a gold ring. And the reason they would buy it, though, is not necessarily to have the gold, but as a savings account. Because they know if there was a time later that they needed some money, they could take that gold and sell it and get money right away, right? Now, in this time, this also you, this jar of perfume was also used in the same way, right? So think of it as a savings account in a sense. Um, I tell you, I don't have any gold, though, nor do I have any expensive jars of perfume, but I don't know what I'd sell. So remember one other thing. As we have talked about, you have a better understanding of this. What did Mary use to anoint Jesus? She used her hair, though. She used her hair. Now think about that. In Jesus' time, what was a woman's hair? Very long. It was very long. Also, it would have been put up and covered, right? Even today in the Mennonite cultures or other cultures, a woman's hair, especially in Jewish culture, would have probably been put up and it would have been covered. Now, there were some women that would walk around with their hair down. This was not Mary. There was a woman that we've studied about, a, a woman at the well. She probably would have had her hair down, but not this Mary. This. So think about this. The only women that would take their hair down in front of, that, in front of the public like that were had other intentions. But this Mary has uncovered her hair. She has let her hair down, and now she is using it to wipe Jesus' feet. Was this even appropriate in this culture? It wouldn't have been. What Mary is doing was not in line with the culture of Jesus' time. It was very extreme. It was probably very awkward to watch this happen. I mean, think about it now, it would be awkward, right? But even in Mary's time, it was even more awkward because the hair would have been tied up and around. So think about it. Everybody's sitting at that table that we saw earlier. You see that picture again, Aaron, of that table? Everybody's sitting there. They're all eating, right? And what's going on? All of a sudden, there's Mary dumping a whole bottle of extremely strong perfume and then wiping it with her hair. So this was this was not a normal thing that was taking place. This was extreme by Mary. So let's continue and see the reactions to what Mary has done in verses 4 and 6. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Judas spoke up, right? We see in this account of John, he mentions that Judas is the one that said something, right? But let's let's look at a different account of this, same story. Let's turn back to Matthew 26, verse 8. Matthew 26, verse 8. This is Matthew's account of the same story. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. So when you look at the different accounts of the same story, John doesn't mention that it wasn't just Judas that noticed this was kind of strange. Now, it's, I don't know why John only mentions Judas, maybe because, you know, I don't know why, but actually it was all the disciples that had noticed. Another thing interesting, you see this John chapter 12, you know this is Judas's first words ever recorded in the Bible. Think about that. His first words ever recorded in the Bible, and what does it show us? It shows right away his heart. All he says here that all he was really concerned about was money. Think about that. How much was that jar worth? It says a year's wages. So how much was that? What's a year's wages? Each one of you think of what's a year's wages. Now think about a year's wages. Now later think about this. Judas sells out Jesus. We know this, right? How much did Judas later sell out Jesus for? 30 pieces of silver. That jar was worth far more than 30 pieces of silver. Think about that. That's all Judas was concerned about. Look at verses 7 and 8. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, 
but you will not always have me. What does Jesus mean when he says that? What is Jesus talking about when he says she did this in preparation for my burial? Does Mary know something or understand something that no one else did in the room? Why has Mary done this? Why has Jesus said this? This woman in this situation has lost all dignity. Think about what she did there. How she worshiped Jesus was not of the culture. She's let her hair down. She's washing his feet with her hair. She had humbled herself before Jesus and her family and everyone else looking upon in a way that I don't even think we can grasp or understand. I mean, this is, there's no way we can even grasp what this woman truly did here. It would seem strange, but Mary is the only one in the story or the only one in the room that seems to understand what Jesus is talking about when he said he would endure suffering and death. What? Why would Mary know this? How would Mary, why does Mary understand this when no one else could? We don't know exactly, do we? But I'll tell you one thing. We do know, but in the previous text, that Jesus, that she is the one who sat at Jesus' feet. She is the one that listened. While everyone else is busy doing everything else, she sat there. She worshiped him. She listened to him. She had placed him herself at his feet as a bondservant and listened. Look at verse 8. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You know, turn to Mark chapter 10 real quick. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This is Jesus. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, we've been reading about it for months. Jesus had been telling the disciples over and over again what was going to take place, what was going to happen. But no one ever, as he told each one of them, none of them ever seemed to grasp it. Nobody seemed to understand what was going to take place this very next week. Mary, I think, had the right idea. I think somehow she understood. Turn to Matthew twenty-six, thirteen. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. This is what the disciples saw. Just think about that. You know, sorry, it just, it's amazing. 2,000 years, I don't know if I quoted that verse right. 26, 13. I want to look back just to make sure. 13. Sorry, I read the wrong verse. I tell you the truth. This is whoever the good news is, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. You see that? John doesn't mention that part of the story, but this is amazing. Think about this. This is quoted by Jesus 2,000 years ago about this situation, about what Mary has done. 2,000 years, here we are in Yangon, talking about this very thing. Just think about that. Isn't that amazing? Let's finish up today. Here, the last few verses, 9 through 11. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. The work that Jesus has done was so powerful And Lazarus was proof of the work that Jesus could do and that was doing. That's amazing. Are our lives living proof like Lazarus of what God can do? Do people look at us and look at our lives and say, Jesus must be real. Look at what has happened in that person's life. Think about it. They looked at Lazarus and they knew Jesus was real. Do they look at us and say, Jesus must be real. Look at what he's doing in that person's life. I know that person. They couldn't have done that. So the word is out now in this. Jesus was in town. And many had came and saw and believed. They'd heard the testimony of Lazarus. But you see here, the leaders had gone a step further now. Before, they were trying to kill Jesus. Now, 
They want to get rid of the testimony of who Jesus was. They want to kill Lazarus. What an amazing, just think about that. What an amazing testimony Lazarus had. Those who were against Jesus wished him dead because his power, his testimony was so powerful. Satan wanted Lazarus dead because his testimony was so powerful of who Jesus was. Think about that. So as we close up, I want you to look at five different reactions to Jesus. Look at them text in verse John chapter 12, the first 11 verses. Do you see Martha's reaction to Jesus? Do you see Lazarus' reaction to Jesus? See Mary's reaction? Who else is in there? You see Judas' reaction. Do you see the people's reaction? Do you see the leading priest reaction to Jesus? How do we worship Jesus? How, I asked earlier, how does Jesus want each one of us to worship him? So what are the five, we've seen these different reactions to Jesus. What are their responses though? What are the five different responses? Martha, we see her, she's a servant, right? It's works. She serves Jesus. We see Lazarus. He had a powerful testimony. People are coming to the Lord through his testimony. We see Mary. She just had a heart of worship. But then we see Judas, bitterness and greed. Then we see the people. Many of them came to faith. Then we see the leaders. It was hate. Hate. Jesus was drawing people away from them. What should ours be? What should our reaction be? As we look at these different reactions, these different people, these different types of worship, these different types of reactions, are we more practical like Martha? Do we have a servant's heart? like Martha? Or is our worship more of a free spirit like Mary? Or are we more like Lazarus, always going around and testifying about who Jesus is? We should examine our hearts as we look at this story and ask, is our worship acceptable to the Lord? If we worship like Mary, or we worship like Martha, or we worship like Lazarus? So a few thoughts as we close. Think about this. I thought about this. I I didn't read this anywhere. This just came to my mind, I believe, from the Holy Spirit. This jar... This alabaster jar, very valuable, right? Mary had. Typically would have been used as a burial spice, right? Why did she still have it? Lazarus had died, and she held that back. She held that back from the burial of her brother. Yet, when Jesus came, she dumped the whole thing out. Interesting that she still had that jar. When we see this, we can see and know that as she poured that jar out, I don't don't believe she saved any of that perfume for later. She used it all, that whole container. She gave it all to Jesus. You think about this kind of worship that Mary offered. It almost would seem crazy as everyone looked on. As we even look at this story, it seems a little kind of crazy. Almost inappropriate, you might say, as this lady let her hair down, using her hair to wash Jesus' feet. Anyone that would look at this and what she gave, the amount of money, a year's wages to anoint his feet, you would say that's crazy. Have you ever been accused of being crazy for Jesus like Mary was? Have you ever worshipped in such a way that people go, That person is crazy for Jesus. That's what Mary did. Can you imagine this fragrance? As some of you smelt that oil, could you imagine that whole can of perfume being poured out in that room? I'm sure as the night went on and as the people left, I'm sure that smell went with them everywhere they went. I'm sure for many days and weeks afterwards, that smell was inside of their nose and on their clothes and inside of that room. As you think of that fragrance, this smell, I I thought of an analogy to use. Does our worship of Jesus go out as a fragrance throughout our homes, through our lives, and throughout the entire world around us, like it did here, like that fragrance, that sweet, like a sweet aroma to Jesus that everyone else would notice and smell. So how should we worship Jesus this week? Should you worship like Mary? Should you worship like Martha or Lazarus? Maybe, I think all three gives us some good examples. All three, through our works, through our worship, 
And through our testimony, that's what we see.